Good evening and welcome back to Ulcerative Colitis Motherhood in May. I'm Ulcerative Colitis Mama and for those of you new to my podcast or any of my blogging um, social media platforms, welcome. Uh, pull up a pew, come and sit down. Um, I hope this is a safe space for you. Um, I like to talk openly and candidly about mental health and my own experience with mental ill health and how how it's almost a part of my life now. Um so before I go ahead with tonight's um, episode, I just want to pop in a quick trigger warning just for anybody out there who's perhaps not on, um, you know, is still in the early stages of their journey or perhaps in not so good place in that in that journey with their mental health at the moment. Um, I do talk about quite a lot of my past experiences, a bit of trauma um, and things that may may upset some people so I appreciate that you know not everybody's recovery is linear um, and each of us are in different stages of that so I don't want to of course I don't want to upset anybody by discussing things that you know I haven't preempt you know preempted anybody for okay then so tonight's episode I want to talk about the concept of being an empath now it's it's quite a new um, term that I've come across in the last sort of 12 months um, and of course I thought oh maybe it's just like one of these gimmicks one of these you know putting labels on things because you know we're all we're all good at putting labels on things and um, whether we do it directly or indirectly and having read up on on the subject and the idea of it um, it kind of resonated with me quite a lot really um, so um, if anybody's sort of read my previous blog on um, am I oversensitive or am I an empath, um, where I kind of touched on it um, back then, a few months ago now, um, I, I've i always been referred to as oversensitive or too sensitive. And it's something that's always, I've always felt like people have treated me like there's something wrong with me because of that. Because, you know, the whole sticks and stones thing, that whole concept never really worked on me. Names did hurt me. Um, I was, you know, like most kids, unfortunately, I, I, did, I did get the rough end of the stick in terms of um, name calling and teasing and, and things like that. And I was quite a sheltered kid, I guess. Um, my, my dad was a police officer. Um, um, my mum was, um, she went on to do her teaching. Um, so I had quite a, um, you know, strong family, you know, strong parenting kind of background really. And it was always like that, you know, don't let people grind you down. Don't let people speak to you badly and things like that. And it, you know, and, and, you know, quite rightly so, um, don't let people talk to you like crap. Um, but there, there was always something that I, I didn't have a very thick shield. Um, things did hit me, um, and I did used to take things to heart quite a lot. I still do in some in some cases, um, particularly if I'm feeling quite emotionally vulnerable. And it's always been considered a great weakness. Um, and for years, I, I too have agreed with that. And thought, God, I wish I, I wish I'd said that to so. So, I wish, I wish I wasn't didn't cry in front of them. I wish I wasn't so weak. And 
having researched into the you know this this idea of being an empath and being um somebody that kind of um absorbs um other people's energies and and you know whether positive or negative and being quite um emotionally exhausted quite quickly it i kind of thought Do you know what maybe maybe it's not me that's the problem maybe it's just that people don't understand people like me um that's always been a, a an idea I've had well since since before I can remember to be honest that I've never really felt like I fitted in anywhere um I mean yeah I've got I've got amazing friends you know and I've I've always been quite a sociable person and things but every now and again I sort of sit there amongst people and I think well where do I really fit in here do I do I really belong here in this this group in in this in this team um uh, just things like i've always been conscious that people don't really get me um i have a, a really bizarre sense of humor um and i think you know years of perhaps um being you know picked on or treated differently and and things kind of gives you a bit of gallows humor um plus the the nature of the job that i do um i'm i'm a nurse so i see a lot of awful things sometimes and you kind of do put up a barrier in that way and you you know and you do use humor as a self-defense mechanism or as a as a form of protection because I think if you sat down and really thought about the things you do day to day um I don't think I'd get out of bed in the morning and uh so I use humor and sometimes it does come across as a bit crass um and you know sometimes I have to kind of reflect on that and look at look at myself and think well, actually how are the people perceiving that um thankfully I've got quite a few friends that have the same kind of gallows humor that kind of um anybody I think who works in public service that sees a lot of horrible stuff um does develop that really um so yeah um so sometimes I do think that people don't really get that and they think that I'm a bit weird um but as I'm getting older, um, I'm realizing now that actually being different isn't a bad thing. It's I'm not a carbon copy of anybody else. I'm not sort of being rolled out on the conveyor belt. I don't look like I'm a regurgitation of a whole lot of people my age, my my body type, and my um, you know my personality. Um, I don't really fit in any boxes. And in a way, that's quite good. I like kind of going against the grain in that way. I like being unique. But um, at the same time, it can be a bit lonely too. Um, so you find other people that are just as weird as you are sometimes, you know. And I'm quite lucky. Most of my friends are complete weirdos too. So it, it goes um, it goes quite well, really. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, trying to... When I went through my trauma counselling and my um sort of mental health therapy through um my um community psychiatric nurse when I was under the mental health team it was kind of like trying to unpick everything from the past and trying to figure out if there was something somewhere from my my childhood from my adolescence that just flipped a switch and then decided right okay you're go you're going to have anxiety now or you're going to be a worrier or you're going to be an overthinker or you're going to be highly sensitive um 
I've always been highly sensitive um, and it's kind of probably manifested itself as OCD behaviors, things like that. So I know I talked about that in one of my previous episodes um, and I, I find it quite like upsetting to talk about actually um, that, you know, I had a couple of family members that weren't so, weren't so kind. Um, I mean, we're okay now, now we're adults, but there's some things you just never forget really. And, um, you know, one of them was the fact that I was, I guess, bullied by my cousin um, during my childhood because, again, they saw that high, high sensitivity thing as a weakness, as a method to get in, as a method to manipulate me. And and it worked. Um, I mean, I can, I, you know, I've got no issues against her now, but at the time, you know, it, it did have a quite a detrimental effect on on how I, I sort of went through the, into my like preteen years. Um, and, you know, thus, I suppose, the, the, where the, my first sort of OCD behaviors began. Um, you know, and I don't want to point fingers of blame and things. It's, it's all relative now. It's, um, it's happened now. It's, I'm living with it. Um, and I do feel that mental illness is always going to be a big part of my life. Um, you know, whether, whether I'm in a good place or whether I'm not, it's, I just feel like that's part of me now. I know, I guess it doesn't sound like a very positive thing by saying that, you know, I'm always going to have issues for, for, you know, possibly the rest of my life that I'm not somehow magically cured from um, mental illness because I've had therapy and I've had, um, I've been under the care of psychiatric nurses and, and things like that. But um, I do feel that it's, although I'm in a good place now and I've been given tools to help cope um, and and how to address things and how to um, understand when things aren't so good that I can kind of halt, take a breath, take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Um, I think that I'm always going to have times where I'm going to have bad days or maybe bad weeks. Um, case in point, last November, um, where I ended up going off work for, for three weeks um, because Basically, somebody made, and I'm not just blaming this this actual uh, event, but I think because I've been living um, sort of basically on my adrenaline for the entirety of the first lockdown, um, then to suddenly realise that all the people that I would normally turn to um, in my place of work, so for example, you know, like my boss um, and a few of my colleagues who I became quite close with, um, they were all off um, shielding. They were um, not shielding, sorry. They were all off with, um, they're all positive. And quite a few of them were actually quite poorly with it. So I felt like all the people that I would normally turn to to say, look, I'm kind of having a bit of a bad time now. I'm, I'm kind of okay at the minute. I'm kind of plodding along but just to kind of give you the heads up that I, I could do with somebody to talk to um they weren't there and um you know and the and the people I was left with were although I you know I absolutely adore them they didn't know my history so well um they didn't know what you know that I was kind of 
on the precipice really um and i broke down i broke down in work um during a really stressful time um we were down to minimal staffing and then i i felt this overwhelming sense of well i can't go off sick because there's nobody else to cover for me um and then to kind of top it off um i'd had a, quite a bad weekend i'd lost a patient and um it'd been quite a, an intense weekend um um, sort of d- dealing with that really and getting logistics and things involved and uh, so I was kind of almost I suppose grieving really for my patient um, you do really you do you, you do grieve when when you lose a patient and and I think I hadn't really had a chance to kind of process it and um, because obviously life goes on work carries on and you've got other patients that need care and you've got other things to do and uh, you kind of don't sit there and think about it too much and um there was a bit of a mix-up anyway um one of my colleagues made a comment and like a card you know like a house of cards it all came crashing down really and um i feel a bit embarrassed about it now because i was pretty hysterical i'm trying to cry with a surgical mask on is pretty damn hard and i'm like laughing at myself now not so much laughing at myself, but it's kind of to to an outsider looking in, the, um, and possibly even people that knew me well. Um, it it may have been deemed as an overreaction, but I think it had just been the the straw that broke the camel's back, and um, I ha- I had to contact my line manager, and I, I couldn't actually get the words out um, what I was trying to say, and. She was absolutely fantastic, in fairness to her. Um, and she understood and she, you know, she touched base with me and she just said, look, just take as long as you need, but, you know, take care of yourself. Um, you know, and it is that caring for the caregivers. It's quite, um, you know, it's quite easy for for us to care for others sometimes. And we kind of, as a detriment to us, we kind of for, forget to look after ourselves sometimes. And, and I think that's what it was, and um, and you know, and I and and I recognised that I wasn't in a good place, and I, I made arrangements with you know occupational health and my GP, and you know, and I managed to you know get back on track quite quickly. But it was for the first couple of days I was in quite a dark place, and it was like I can't go back here again. I can't be. I can't go back to being depressed again. It's not a good place. It's not good for the other for people that I live with. It's not people good for for my family and um one of the kind of the classic things I tend to do um when I feel particularly emotionally vulnerable as I like to call it is I kind of hide it um it this to me to me personally it sometimes I feel a bit of shame for it I feel a bit like a burden and I I wonder how broad some people's shoulders are to to take it really because I am just I become a mess. Um, I, you know, and I cry a lot. I'm a very emotional person, and I worry. I overthink. I lose sleep, and it just, it, it just kind of, it, it's cyclical, and it just keeps going round and round and round until I actually go, whoa! I need to just stop right now. I need to kind of, like I said, take a step back, look at the bigger picture, and just have some time to recover. And then, you know, um, get back on my feet again. And, um, you know, and I, and I felt good and, and touch words. Uh, 
I am touching wood now, by the way. Um, you know, I, I, I'm back in a good place now. Um, but there's always that element of, oh, what if the pressure gets too much again? What if you lose it again? And it's, and a classic example of that is at the moment, alongside working, um, raising a family and running a house and the usual kind of things, I decided to take the plunge and do a postgraduate module um, through, well, through work. Um, but I tend to use my spare time up as well. So I've gone back to university, um, which I enjoy. I'm absolutely loving it, but it's a lot of hard work. I mean, I've been out of formal education since 2010. You know, it's um, my that part of my brain's been lying dormant for, for you know, best part of 11 years. And um, the self-doubt kind of creeps in now again that I think, oh, I can't manage this. I can't do this. At no point have I felt like I wanted to quit yet. Um, that's that's one good thing about my constitution is I'm not a quitter. Um, I just keep pushing, keep pushing. And quite often I take the scenic route, as as my mum would say, that maybe I won't get, get to my destination directly, but I'll get there eventually. Um, story of my life. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm loving this course, but... Like I said, it's a lot of hard work uh, studying on top of everything else. Of course, I'm 11 years older than I was. Now I've got more responsibilities than I had 11 years ago. And of course, I'm working as well. I'm, I'm working as as a, an experienced practitioner now. So, you know, it's it's having that, that time to be able to sit down and study and read notes and look at articles and evidence my... Um, my assignments and stuff and and learn learn about things again that like I said have been lying dormant for for a long long time um so you know you know I, you know and my mum quite rightly said she sort of said look you know you don't have to do this and I said no I know I don't have to do it but I want to um you know I've I've for the best part of my life I've always put other people other people's needs in, in, in front of my own which you know is not necessarily a bad thing you know I've that's how I've always been and if you you know you look at the concept of empath in inverted commas that's kind of what empaths do they kind of put the needs of other people before their own um which leaves you emotionally exhausted quite frankly and that kind of ticks the boxes for me really but this course um is something I want to do for me. Um, it's I've always considered one of my strong points to be knowledge, um, and I do kind of briefly talk about it in one of my previous blog posts. And as as bizarre as it sounds, like I'm not a particularly talented person. Um, yeah, I can sing. Um, I can't particularly play a musical instrument really, um, unless you cover your ears. Um, you know, and I, I like to do creative stuff, um, you know, to not to a particular particular high level, um, but I, I do enjoy doing certain things. And but my thing is I'm quite bookish. Um it's always been my kind of escape really. Um that I'd always have my head in a book from quite an early age. 
and knowing things and being able to to know things is kind of like my my talent i guess um i'm a in and and want for a better word i'm a smart ass and i and um i like to be right about things again that could be part of my ocd as well um but you know i like knowledge i like learning new skills i like learning things that can can help that can can um you know be of a benefit to me in the future and um and this course is is kind of just up my street really and it's about how you know and it's kind of like looking at myself worth really um there are times where i feel um not so valued and you know not necessarily um you know purposely um I think sometimes I just sort of have to reevaluate things at times and uh and I guess it's um you know kind of part of part of that anxiety and that overthinking thing is that I I like to feel valued and I like to feel wanted and I'll stay in one place as long as I feel wanted a bit like Mary Poppins really <laughs> um I'll stay as long as I'm needed as long as I'm wanted and you know and i do make comparisons to myself and other people a lot um and it, it you know and i do feel quite insecure sometimes um so being able to do something that only i can do at the moment um so i'm the only one at my team that's doing this so i feel quite empowered in a way um because i feel like yeah I, I can do this i've got some you know, I've got I've got that that element. I've got that confidence to be able to to go forward with this. I've got the knowledge. I've got the skill. I've got the experience. Let's just crack on and get it done. And um, you know, and that, and that's helping. But then this little voice in the back of my head's like, "You're doing too much. You're doing too much. You're gonna you're gonna go mad again. You're gonna you know you're gonna have another breakdown or whatever." Um. And at the moment, I'm I'm kind of ignoring it, not to the point that I'm kind of denying it, but it's I'm managing, and until I stop managing, I will keep keep going. Um, and it's quite natural for everybody to have little wobbles, according to my tutor. Um, she's saying that you know we're mature students now. Oh God, mature student makes me sound so old. Um, so my priorities are different now. Because I know I don't have to do this. I'm there by choice, not by, you know, because I, I need to do that. I'm there because I want to do it. And um, and I think that's quite a big drive in itself, really, that, um, you know, and it's quite natural for, for people in that position to have a few wobbles because we are using parts of our brain that we haven't used for a very long time. Um, so, you know, that's... I'm just going to keep on trucking really um and and see how I see how I get along so going back to the the concept of being an empath then I'll use that inverted commas or a capital e um so the you know i never really knew what an empath was i'd heard the the word being battered about over the last couple of years with the introduction of more sort of social media um platforms and things and the words kind of uh battered about sometimes 
And I just happened to like read up on it one day and I thought, well, you know, I, I think I'm an empathetic person. So, you know, what what's what's an empath? And sort of reading into it from like various other um, you know, uh websites and um and literature and it kind of did strike a chord with me really. Um, that's saying that you know generally uh, somebody who's an empath does is is quite a, like a highly emotional sponge. Um, you absorb the the um, feelings and emotions of others. Um, you're highly sensitive, um, and you see the world through different eyes sometimes. And that you're you tend to be in in roles of an empathetic um, nature, like nursing. Um, that you put so much of your good energy forward and you know and I, I've never been a particularly you know spiritual person per se um, I've been very open-minded really I'm a very open-minded into the you know um, you know the idea of spirituality and and that sort of like inner peace and things and the more I kind of read into it the more I thought this sounds f- too much like me this is so familiar um that you know uh easily upset um easily triggered by things that you see or hear um and case in point i could be watching a commercial somewhere and it stirs up like an emotional response with me i mean a lot of you know advertising do use that that's quite a common gimmick really that they use to try and sell their product or whatever um but i do feel quite um emotional um when i'm faced with certain things and um being a nurse as well it's it's almost that i not physically experience it's it's really really hard to explain but i feel people's pain um not physically I can't quite describe it, um, and and I'm hoping there's there's other people out there that that may be able to understand this, um, that I can understand somebody's pain, and I can understand their emotional pain, and and I, I feel so much all the time. It's you know I walk into a room and I can already pick up the vibe of that room. Um, if if I'm in a highly stressful environment. Um, you know, which, you know, my, my team have been over the past 12 months, but it, I absorb it and it makes me anxious. And if one of my colleagues, one of my friends, whoever is feeling highly stressed or highly emotional, I feel it too. And I always thought, oh, it's, it's just probably like a learned behavior and probably, you know, maybe, you know, people are inclined to agree to that um but there's got to be kind of um there's got to be a reason why I am like this um you know I've always put it down to I'm just a bit of a wimp a bit of a wuss a bit of a bit pathetic um but then I think well you know I'm I'm a grown woman now it's not that I'm upset easily because somebody's called me something that I don't like or anything like that. It's, it just seems to be on such a deeper level and, you know, and I've gone into jobs where I'm able to kind of be myself. So being a nurse is just an extension of who I am. I don't have to pretend to be somebody else. 
Um, and and drawing upon one of my first early experiences of having counselling as as a nurse, as a, as a fully fledged nurse, um, I had uh, I, I was involved in a bit of an incident, um, and I, I was quite traumatised by it. Um, I lost it. It was um, following the loss of a patient quite suddenly in the middle of the night, and it was quite a traumatic experience for me. And um, I, I volunteered myself to go into to counselling through occupational health, which I benefited from. I feel, um, and I went over. Although I, I only, I was only allowed. You know, unfortunately, the the rules were I could only have so many sessions. So it was kind of like a very condensed therapy, really. Um, that I remember my counsellor talking. Um, saying to me like you you talk a lot about being a nurse but can we just take all that strip that away for now and I want to find out what you're really like the real you and he said if I could take the nursing element away from you what what where would that leave you and this was years ago now this is probably about six or seven years ago so again my my life I was in a completely different place in my life and I actually said nothing. And he said, what, so take away, you know, that nurse element of you, you feel that you are nothing. And I and I said, yes. And I got very upset because I felt that it was such a, I mean, it still is quite a big part of who I am because it's it allows me to be myself in so many ways and it allows me to, I get great fulfillment in looking after other people and and having that making even sort of a small change um in their life in their in their well-being and um he he was kind of shocked by that he sort of said it doesn't define who you are and I said but it's it's the only thing I'm good at and he said I'm sure you're good at other things as well and I said and I think, you know, so I was probably going through a bit of a, a bad patch at the time. But I said, you know, being a nurse is such a big part of who I am. It's it's almost the, I hide a lot behind the uniform as well. Um, it gives me confidence. It gives me the ability to, to speak more openly, more freely in terms of I'm more assertive um, when, I'm, when I'm in work mode than I am in real life. Um, I'm quite meek and mild, really, um, in the back, in, you know, sort of when it's all stripped away and when I'm just just me. Um, and it's almost like being that, like that reverse kind of superhero, really, but I'm not a superhero. Um, I'm a health professional, but it's almost like I, I don't, I, I, it's almost like I put on this persona, but it's, it's not fake. It's just, a kind of an amplified version of the confidence I kind of wish I had when I'm not in my nurse role. Um, and it's kind of the, it's a very respectable kind of profession. And I feel that in a way, although I'm kind of able to be more assertive and more confident in the role, I still kind of fade into the background where 
to to some patients they'll never remember me you know i i'm just this this woman in a blue uniform that gives them tablets or it or held their hand one time but i'm kind of a number in the same time so it's like it's almost like i I, I'm kind of, it's hard to explain really. It's almost like I'm, I'm present, but I'm, I'm not a strict individual either. Um, it's quite a difficult one to kind of explain really. Um, so yeah, being, being an empath or certainly showing the traits of being one answers a lot of questions about how, how like sensitive I am as a person um you know not necessarily just crying at the drop of hat but i when i get angry i cry um and it's mainly out of frustration with myself because it's it's that that build up that um i i mean i do get angry i get narky like everybody else does and i get irritable and and things like that but i struggle to manifest anger and i always have done and I manifest anger through, generally through tears. Um, I I do take things to heart quite a lot. Um, I overthink. I I will somebody may pass a comment that they mean nothing by it, but I take that on board. And like the insecure part of me thinks, wow, uh, that's what they think of me. They think I'm useless. They think I'm crap they don't they think I'm incompetent um and especially in my work uh, in my line of work because I feel that perhaps my professional persona is something I get right generally nine times out of ten so when I, I don't do well in my job um I take that as a really big personal hit because I feel like that's some that's one part of my life I can do correctly you know and not screw up um so I do very much kind of resonate with this em- empath kind of you know trait personality I guess So I guess um there are quite a few drawbacks to to being an empath i think it's a you know overall quite a positive concept really because you're you're very intuitive you're very hyper aware of those around you and you're able to kind of sense that something's something's amiss um and you're able to pick up um you know perhaps um signs in other people that they're not not doing so great and i think that's what kind of it kind of drove me to um taking on the role of a mental health champion for my team and not so much well you know obviously because of my own experience of living with mental illness but sort of being able to recognize it in other people and and knowing the signs of like kind of withdrawal and 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 things and and being able to to say look I've been where you've been and I'm doing okay and you know I will hold your hand on this path with you um 
you know, because that's kind of what I, I would want people to do for me. Um, and, and quite, you know, and I've been very fortunate that I have had quite a lot of people that have done that. And, you know, the true, the people that are true to you do stick around, as they say, um, you know, even, even during the not so good times. Um, but one of the, you know, the drawbacks, well, I've certainly experienced um, from, from being such a nice person. Um, and I see, I even make that sound like it's a negative thing, like being nice is negative. But um, I've always considered myself a good judge of character. Um, however, um, past friendships and things have kind of made me rethink that sometimes that maybe I'm not such a good judge of character. Unfortunately for me, being hypersensitive and kind of running on head on into things and wearing my heart on my sleeve um, can leave me vulnerable to being manipulated and having the wool pulled over my eyes at times. Um, and this has happened a couple of times in my life um, where it's had quite quite a major impact. Uh, one of which being my, um, I had a best friend at school. Uh, we were best friends for probably about 10 years. Um, right from sort of the first year in high school, you know, right through to, to our early 20s. And it was a very toxic friendship. Um, it took me years and years to figure that out. But she she was my best friend. Um, and, you know, and unfortunately for her, she didn't have a great upbringing. Um which, which, you know, went on to, you know, she ended up having her own, um, I don't like saying issues because that sounds so uh, derogatory, but she went on to have um, her experiences with mental ill health and, you know, whether it was part of that or whether it was some sort of self-defense me- mechanism, but Basically, if I did something that she didn't agree with or she didn't particularly like, um, now in in sort of conventional friendships, your your friend would hopefully tell you and sort of call you out on it. However, with her, she would give me the silent treatment, and to me, that's like kind of the worst thing you could do to me. Um, even though I'm the most sensitive person in the world, sometimes sometimes it's better to be direct with me, so I know where I stand. Um, and as, as we got older, it got more frequent, um, and it became quite, um, quite a big deal, really. I almost, um, sort of going into my second year of university, she had a really bad run in with her mental ill health. Um, and part of me was like, well, I'm her best friend. It's my duty to be with her. I need to look after her. And I almost um, dropped out of university to look after her. And, you know, quite a noble thing to do. The The thing is, though, I don't think the role would have been, if the shoe was on the other foot, I don't think she would have come running to my aid either. I do feel there was a lot of um, bitterness in our relationship and our friendship where although I was quite hypersensitive right through school and quite anxious and, um, you know, a bit weirdo, 
um, to top top it all off. Um, I kind of got through it. I got through my my GCSEs. I got through and went to college. Got through college and went to uni, and and kind of life, you know, progressed for me in a way. And for her, it didn't. Um, you know, through through various reasons, and I do feel that perhaps there was um, some envy there, um, and you know, and our friendship kind of went off and on for a couple of years while I was away at university, and um, then when I finished university, um, or certainly I took a year out um for you know for for my own mental health i went back to 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 qualify thankfully and um she started becoming more and more distant with me and it got to a point when she her she'd come out on a christmas like a pre-christmas party with another group of my friends who she didn't really know but I thought, you know, they're really nice people. They're very welcoming. They, you know, and they do accommodate everybody. And as far as I was aware, we had a good night. Um, we we left early. Um, but, you know, we, I felt it was a good night. Anyway, um, a f- couple of weeks after that, um, I started going back to uni and, you know, picking up on things I'd missed and catching up with my course. And I, you know, I sent her a few text messages as you do, you know, how, how are things back at uni or, you know, you know, just sort of general chit chat and she never replied. And I thought, oh, okay, now she wasn't great with money. Um, I would often, um, you know, buy her food and I'd help you know, I'd, I'd just say, look, you know, just pay me back when when you when you have the money. I said, look, we're friends. It's not going to be, it's not an issue, you know. And <laughs> needless saying, I've got the money back, but it, that's not the point. Um, she, um, it was quite often she would get her phone cut off, so I didn't think too much of it because uh, I knew she could still receive messages, but maybe not reply. And this went on for a couple of weeks and I thought, okay, she's usually got money by now and she's usually able to get back on online. And um, what happened to me, my friend who'd come out on Christmas drinks with us, and she said, oh, it's a shame about you and B, isn't it? Oh, what, what, what do you mean? I said, oh, that, that she's not talking to you anymore. And I was like what gave you that impression and she said well she'd messaged me um on social media um because my friend s was was one of these that would you know the more the merrier kind of thing she always loved meeting new people and she'd messaged me and said oh you know thanks for a great night it was really nice to meet you hope you come out with us again soon you know you're very welcome to come back out with us and b had replied um oh thanks very much it was really nice to meet you too but i don't think we'll be going we'll be meeting again um because i'm no longer speaking to lauren and 
my mate S was like, oh, oh, right. I'm sorry to hear that. What what happened? And B had put something like, she's insensitive and she's a liar or, or words to that effect. Something quite harsh that isn't true. And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks because I was like, whoa, 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 when, when, was, when was I informed that she wasn't speaking to me anymore? You know, it was, this was, this was kind of her, her modus operandi. It was, she wouldn't tell people directly she wasn't friends with them anymore. She would either tell somebody else or you just have to work it out for yourself. And obviously I wasn't, I hadn't caught on that I was no longer in her, best, you know, I was no longer her best friend. Um, so, you know, I tried to message her and things and never, ever got a response. And that was the beginning of 2010. And uh, it was sad, really, because we had the, the good memories we had were absolutely great. Um, I still like see things that remind me of her now when I sort of giggle and think, oh, she, she'd find that funny. Um, but then I realized that, you know, it it was for the best, really. Um perhaps you know sort of breaking that those ties uh in a way was kind of a relief too because I no longer had to be careful what I said or what I did around around her in case she she stopped talking to me again and um <laughs> the the really ironic thing is flash forward you know all these years 11 years or whatever and our kids go to the same school what are the odds? So I see her on my days off when I walk little G to school. She's usually walk, walks past me and uh, she she doesn't even meet my eye contact. She she looks straight through me like I'm not there. And I think, you know, it's sad. It's really sad that we can't be adults about it, you know, when, um, you know, and I try and get her eye contact just to smile and nod or, you know, give her a smile. Obviously, it's COVID now, so we all have to wear face masks and score gates, so it, you can't even smile at people now. But, you know, it, it was just a kind of thing, you know, I forgive her. I forgive her for, for the way, you know, the way she was. You know, she she was in a pretty bad place herself, and she saw fit to to sort of cut ties with me. And I'm okay with that now. I'm, I'm an adult now. I can I can deal with it. But it's just a shame that we can't be civil, even in public, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's quite sad. It's quite sad that I see her so often and I kind of grieve for the friendship we had, but, you know, these things happen. Um, and, you know, following that, I did have a couple more experiences of toxic friendships and, you know, luckily I was able to pick up on them before the 10-year mark and cut ties as well, um, which has brought back so many unpleasant feelings and memories. Um, but now it's a case of I'm just very, very careful who who I'm friends with and who I entrust, um, you know, uh, which is quite sad, really, that you shouldn't have to feel like that. And I don't want to be one of these people that just constantly has their guard up, but... I think when you're you're such an empathetic person and you're you, you want to be nice and you want to look after people and you want to be you know um, you know I, I'm nice to everybody, even people that have wronged me. You know, it's I'm not I can't 
I don't have it in my heart to be horrible to people. Um, it just, it's just sometimes people don't instill the same level of kindness as you would to them, uh, which is unfortunate, really. Um, so yeah, it, it, unfortunately, it has its drawbacks of being a highly sensitive person. It can sometimes uh, impair your your vision in in that sense. Uh, I'm not saying it happens to everybody, but that's just kind of how I've experienced it really. And then being so hard on myself for being so, you know, gullible really, and so easily manipulated. But um, sort of my, my most recent experience of that toxic friendship, it was, I wasn't even aware it was happening. It was, it was pretty damn awful actually. And I, I don't really talk about it. Um, I've talked about it through my counsellor and I've talked about it through my CPN and I'm not going to talk about it again. Um, but it was a particularly bad, bad experience. Um, and, you know, and I vowed that nobody's ever going to be, ever going to do that to me again. Um, so, yeah, like I said, this this idea of being uh, and sort of absorbing people's energies and being like that kind of like that sponge, really, it, it's hard to kind of repel it. Um, and so when I'm around people that are in uh, like a prolonged um, negative mood, and I don't mean like depressed people because that's, you know, I will go out my way to try and help those people because I've been in that position myself. It's people that are generally, you know, um, angry about things or they're being, um, you know, ir irrational in some senses. Um, I struggle to repel that because then I kind of adopt that. And, I, and th they've got very good reason to feel that way. Um, and maybe it's something that I've not really thought about, but then I thought, oh, actually, they've got a point. But then it's it's almost like ingesting that bad feeling and those negative thoughts, and I end up mulling them over for a long, long time afterwards. And it's not healthy, really. Um, so it was quite funny, really. My my friend Rachel, who who I was talking about uh, talking with on my previous podcast episode. Um, she kind of got me into crystal therapy and as we had mentioned together in our previous, uh, in the previous episode, we're very much like chalk and cheese, Rachel and I, but we got on so well and I think it's a good balance really. Um, and if you'd have told me about 18 months ago, oh, you know, try some crystals, they'll make you feel better. I probably would have laughed in your face and probably thought, oh, here we go. There's some crazy crystal wielding pagan or whatever. But you know what? Um, when when COVID hit and things like that and my mental health was kind of very much on a knife edge, I thought, you know what? It can't hurt to try. And I read up about it and I bought a few. And to be honest, some of them are pretty nice to look at. Um, and they're all nice colours and shiny and things. But um, I looked up one um, with regards to empaths and highly sensitive people, and they recommend black tourmaline. And 
because there, there's something about it that repels negative en- energy and it protects your emotional um, well-being, say. So I thought, you know what, I'll give it a go. And, you know, and I do, I have a, a necklace with a tourmaline crystal on it and I do wear it when, well, obviously when I'm not in work because um, I'm not allowed to wear jewellery in work. And it does kind of make me feel different, but I don't know how much of that is like a placebo effect or whether it's like scientifically proven, who knows, but, um, or whether it's just altering my mindset, but, you know, I'm willing to try anything and I'm quite open-minded. So, you know, she says 20 crystals later, and I've also got a very nice display bowl with them in, um, but you know, um, it it's worth trying, and it's like I said, you know, with my recovery and things, it's always going to be a part of my life. Being anxious, having OCD, having, um, you know, days, uh, sometimes even weeks where I feel particularly low. Um, I think that's just always going to be me as they say, your recovery is, is never linear and that's okay sometimes. Um, and people do recover fully. Um, and I, you know, at this moment in time, I feel really good. I feel really positive. I feel like me. I'm quite, um, emotionally quite sort of calm and, um, content, uh, considering how stressful my job is, but you know, it's, but I'm aware that, you know, I may not, not always feel this calm and contented. Um, but that may also be a reflection of my high sensitive, highly sensitive personality too. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a bit of a soul searching kind of exercise. And it's trying to discover ways of managing um my highly sensitive self and being able to say, whoa, whoa, okay, don't, don't take it to heart, just breathe and let it go. And it's like mindfulness, um, which is a concept my dad introduced to me. And I found it very, very highly beneficial. Yeah, so mindfulness was a big part of my um, recovery, um, for my mental health recovery. And it was kind of like acknowledging the negative thoughts, not so much trying to um, deny them or sort of distract myself from them and like um, avoiding them. It was a case of, right, okay, I'm having this thought. Acknowledge it, let it go. Don't absorb it. Um took quite a lot of practice for me to be able to do that. Um, But I found it immensely helpful. And so did my dad. Um, My dad has struggled with his mental health for for about 20 years. Um, So, you know, um, he's been through quite a roller coaster himself. So when I've been struggling, it's, it's been a relief to be able to have somebody close to me that that's been there too and and he gets it um you know as as much as my my mum is 
one of the most amazing human beings on this planet in, in my eyes. Um, my dad just gets it. My dad can just give, look at me and go, you're not doing good today, are you? And he's got a good way of like getting the truth at me. That's probably, you know, he's, he's a retired police officer, so that's going to happen, isn't it, really? He's a good reader of people. And I do feel that my dad's uh, shows, um, you know, that empathic kind of um, personality too, although his um his self, his defense mechanisms a lot better than mine a lot mature more mature than mine shall we say so he's quite good at putting up a, his guard whereas i don't really have one um i'm quite transparent really um so yeah i found it very very beneficial um and that's low if you go out there's loads of resources on mindfulness um, it might not suit everybody, but you know, I do. I do recommend it as a as a source of um, getting peace, really, with with your um, your thoughts and your thought processes. Um, so yeah, um, so that's my my episode for tonight. Again, I have waffled on for over an hour again. Um, so you know. I think I better draw it to a close now. Um, but like I said, and like I say to everybody, you know, and I mention it every single time in my my podcast episodes is please don't struggle on your own. Um, you may feel like the loneliest person in the world sometimes, even when you're surrounded by crowds of people, but just know that you're, you're not alone. And there's plenty of us out there that have been on that dark, twisty path um and we've come out the other side or we've certainly gotten a very big clearing anyway um please look up there's plenty of resources out there that can help you please talk to people um whether it's somebody you um you're related to or if it's somebody that you work with just kind of talk just talk about it you know we need to start breaking down this stigma of mental illness and mental ill health where you know we're all human and we're all very special beings and we've all got a we've all got our role in this world and you may not feel particularly strong right now but it will get better it will get easier especially if you talk to somebody about how you feel and don't feel that you're being judged and if you do well that person's not worth with your trust and your friendship. So please speak to your doctor, your your nurse, your mental health nurse. There are plenty of resources out there. Look at Mind Blurt Foundation, Pandas for, for the um, parents out there. Look at all oh, this, this um, CAM, which is for aimed at, at men. Um, Please don't feel that this is a weakness on your part. We we have all fragile in some way or another, and it is not a reflection on a, who you are. You're not well, and it's an illness like everything else, like a broken leg. Okay, so on that note, stay safe, keep talking, and lots of love. Good night. <laughs>